Logical Progression, Year Four, Chapter Fourteen, Lesson Seven. Yeah, come on, Allah, welcome. It is very wet and cold, cold as well, right? Temperatures dropped, isn't it? Right? Uh, Subhanallah, I don't know if you noticed. I was gonna, I was gonna do one of my, I was gonna, I was gonna channel my inner Yasmin Mujahid, yeah, but I decided not to. I was looking at the grass. The grass is growing very strong, very clear in January. Oh, it's February now, but I mean, it was last week. And Yanni, you know, if you didn't think that climate change, Yanni, is not happening yet, tell the grass that. Grass is dead in January. The plants are growing, everything going. We've had such a warm winter, it's unbelievable. It's been amazing. And so when it gets so. Huh? Have they started? Ajib. Ajib. <laughs> when I come here with my eyes closed like this, <laughs> you know, daffodils, nothing wrong. <laughs> SubhanAllah, there you go. So, um, yeah, you feel it when it becomes cold. Anyway, Alhamdulillah, um, khair. it was nice to see, mashallah, so many of you turn out to uh, Sheikh Omar uh, Suleiman's uh, presentation on Isa alayhi salam. I thought it was very, very good. I was there and I enjoyed it myself immensely. And Alhamdulillah, it was good news also to announce that um, we're back again in Manchester. Uh, myself teaching as well as well as Al-Maghrib and so I hope that uh, and we have quite a few plans actually uh, before Ramadan um, so more than just uh, the upcoming class inshallah so um, uh, we agreed to uh, do um, a, a, a class it's a three hour class or three and a half hour class and it's what we call an ilm night in that we are planning to do the topic within three and a half hours a little bit shorter than what you might have seen with uh with uh, the messiah and it's called dominion and it's basically a quranic narrative so we will take the story of Dawood and Sulaiman in principle <coughs> focus on the ayat of the quran that are related to them and then narrate the ahadith and the fiqh points that are applicable for today's reality so uh, i think you'll enjoy it um i taught it um uh, already to a very nice crowd in malaysia alhamdulillah and so i want this to be also a really good gathering a, a large gathering uh, where we can revive the the kind of uh, the, uh, the the dawah that type of dawah in manchester so that's gonna be march 12th okay and the location I don't want to 100% confirm just yet because that's something which I think I will confirm in the next few days, okay? Um, but I'd really appreciate that you tell your, fr uh, your family and your friends and that they personally spread the word as much as possible. So that's going to be Dominion and you can just, uh, if you just go to ilmnight.com, okay? Ilmnight.com, then you can see the, uh, the actual thing and book up. Um, and that's March the 12th, and it's going to be about 6 p.m. About 6 p.m. Saturday night, it is. So it's a good time to come, inshallah. And then we'll talk about the rest of the stuff planned for the rest of the year after that. Bidnillah. So, and also, uh, another thing is that um, I reviewed yesterday's lesson. I know a lot of people came to me and said that last week's, not yesterday's, last week's lesson should be made public for general kind of use. And I looked at it, I wasn't too sure at the time, but I think I will. So, Zakmullah for telling me that. And we, we will, inshallah, release that. Because it's got some kind of very general information that doesn't need too much study beforehand. It won't confuse the masses. Well, I hope not, anyway. Um, 
and it could benefit them. Right, so I think where we reached to in our discussions was the um, was the statement Yeah, it's in here. Is they're not hearing any audio? Yeah, what they're saying is fizzy, fuzzy. Is that number three? Yeah, number three. Okay, so I remember the last thing that I said that um that the adhan should be given ala uluwin and actually um, the the text or this riwayah says ala ulwin which is the same takriban same thing okay which means from a high place and I told you guys that uh, there were a number of narrations that, that showed that in fact you know the hadith remember Abdullah ibn Zayd is the companion who came to the Prophet and said Ya Rasulullah I had a dream I saw this guy he came he's very nice looking at you know green thobes on and, he, and, and when he goes and he what he says is that he came out and he went uh, and he climbed on top of the masjid. Okay, that's one of the narrations. So actually, even in the dream, the angel who appears to him was on top of the house. Okay, and therefore high place. And I told you that the companions themselves, Abdullah ibn Maktoum used to, and I told you last week that Abdullah, that uh, Sayyidina Bilal, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, also he would uh, very early go and climb onto the top of the house of the female companion the female companion I had her name actually here um, if it interests you but Al-Muhim yani, is that that's what happens that's what uh, happened rather I should say actually she's not named subhanallah Imra'atun min bani Najjar a woman from the tribe of Najjar she said my house was the, 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 the highest of all the houses that surrounded the masjid. And Bilal he used to make the adhan at the time of Fajr. So when it became Sahar time, you know, Sahar, does Urdu have Sahar, the word Sahar? No. Nabasari, they call it because of Suhoor. But you don't have, because you know, in Pukhto, right, in different Patans, we actually have that uh, word. Sahar. You know, we have that. Let's go ask Abu Dhar's father. In Urdu, in the Urdu language, yani, proper, nice Urdu language, in the word Sahar, does it exist? To refer, yeah, to refer to the early morning? Yes, Sahar. Yes, sahar. Not Sari, not Sari. Sahar, what's it mean? Subhar. Light comes on when the Yomadar Rosas. Yeah, yeah. So in Urdu, it's called they call it Sahar. You see how useless all of you are. <laughs> Rubbish. You see that? I knew all of you know nothing. And when I saw my uncle walk past, I said, I know they all know. I told them that in Porto we have it. They're useless. There's no young men. There's lots of old men. Buddha, they all them. Look at them. Rubbish. Women over there, rubbish. All of them rubbish. I said to them in my in my language, Porto, we do have Sahar. So how is it that it does, it's not even in Urdu? Anyway, you can go on, Zakim Mulakhan. Thank you very much. Good, good, good uh, contribution. Um, uh, which is actually, 
Uh, as I said, this word is taken from the original Arabic of, of Sahar, which means early morning. Early, early morning. Wabil Ashari, whom Yastaghfirun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al Dhariyat, right? That the righteous people, the best people, they are in the early, early morning times. They are seeking forgiveness, meaning they're praying to Hajjad and so on and so forth. So Allah describes this time. It's pre Fajr, basically, it's super early. Okay? So he says that. Um, uh, he would come at the time of Sahar and he would sit on top of my house. Right? And he would wait and look yani, for the Fajr, yani, wait to see when it's about to kind of you know, explode on the horizon. So just before that, when he would see the kind of spreading that is nearly about there, then he would praise Allah. Allahumma inni ahmaduk, yani, I, oh Allah, I praise you. And then he would give the adhan. You know the difference, we're going to talk about this later, the difference in terms of time between the adhan of of uh, Bilal, meaning, as I told you last time, his adhan, okay, happens just before the Fajr actually starts. Gives enough time for the people praying with her, quickly finish. It gives enough time for someone, you know, who's asleep, quick, you know, wake up and have a quick bite, yep, and just get themselves ready if they're about to fast. We're not talking an hour, maybe half an hour, 20 minutes, something like that. That time is difficult to ascertain. But anyway, then Abdullah ibn Maktoum then would also then uh, then come and he would give the adhan for the actual fajr. This hadith which I mentioned has been narrated by Abu Dawood and insha'Allah it is a hadith which is authentic insha'Allah. It is authentic insha'Allah. Okay, the next point, I don't have an English text, what does it say? What's it, what, what, read to me, just what does it say is next? What's the state of purity? So, what's the sentence before it? So the the adhan is fifteen sentences. The adhan is fifteen sentences. One recites it from a high position. One recites it from a high position. Whilst in a state of purity. Whilst in a state of purity. Okay, exactly. Like so, uh, one recites from a high position whilst in a state of uh, of purity. Now, the high the high, exactly like the, the the high position point, of course, is is uh, something that needs to be considered. Is it an act of ibadah? This is a really difficult question, and we're going to come back to this uh, for a few other points. You see, you would have, I hope that you remember, I've told you in all of the fit classes that I teach, and in special logical progression, that when it comes to the most difficult things you can do in Islam, it's actually uh, uh, the, the scholar's face. I've, I've told you two of them. Who can remind me these two? The two most difficult things that... One is not applicable just to scholars. One is applicable to everyone. The second one is applicable to scholars. Okay? So what's the most... First of all, what's the most difficult thing you can do in the religion of Islam? To take someone out of it once they have entered it willingly. The danger of takfir. The danger of excommunication. The danger of saying to someone, you know what, you're not Muslim. Once that person comes in and says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, and you want to take him out, you better come with the heavens and the earth full of evidence. Because if you don't have that clear evidence, and you don't have the presence of a possible excuse for that person, ignorance, mental state, uh, no, lack of knowledge, whatever, then it falls upon you, as the Prophet ﷺ said. When a person says to the other per- his brother, kafir, it will definitely apply to one of them. So, it's a major issue. That's the most difficult thing in this religion, abs- in an absolute sense. Al-Itlaq, as we say. And there's another thing, which can also be said, which is the most difficult thing in a religion, but it's really about the issue of the scholars. What is that? Correct. Okay, well done. Is to determine the illa. A reminder again what the illa is. The illa is the sharia reason for something. It's almost like Allah's will, Allah's intention almost. 
So when there's an act of worship that we do, we're trying to, when we are trying to look for the illa, trying to find the reason behind this action, we're trying to almost second guess, try to work out what does Allah want from this? What is, what is he intending by this? Okay? And as you can imagine, because we don't know the intention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a very difficult and dangerous area. But it's an important one. You might say, well, you know, so what? Why do we need to go into such a dangerous area? Well, we need to because the majority of life in our time, we've lived 1400 years without any divine text. It's all good and, you know, lovely if you're living at a time of the Prophet ﷺ. If you have a question, you ask him and he gives you the answer, والسلام, and then the story. But we're 1400 years on. And we have new scenarios that we cannot ask the Prophet ﷺ. And so therefore we have to try and, and, asset, and try to use whatever evidences and whatever statements and fatawa and fiqh positions that we have, we have to try and use as best as possible. And so when we come across a completely new situation that has not been talked about by the scholars, then we need to start to try and use analogy. We need to try and create an analogy with something that we have seen before, with something that we have now that is new. So... I like I, like I, I mentioned it so many times, like cocaine, like heroin, like weed, like smoking, like cigars, whatever. All of these things are generally newish, okay? Um, uh, or the or the effect of psychotropic drugs, or the effect of other you know uh, hallucinatory kind of agents or whatever. What the ruling is upon these items that never existed at the time of Prophet was no access to them, etc., etc. And so we can only give a ruling on these items and products if we know that a ruling has been given on something else similar to that. And then we make an analogy. And the only way that we can make an analogy before with a certain ruling is to know why that ruling came down in the first place. And so for example, if we see alcohol, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it is an act of shaitan, it is rijs, it is dirty, it is x, it is y. You know, that's all, that's, all, that's all well and great. That's all well and great. But that doesn't actually give us an actual reason why it is haram. Or, or someone might say, is that enough? That is dirty? Is that good enough? Well, actually, we should say, yes, that is good enough. And it is. But is it good enough for a scholar who wants to be able to build upon this? And the answer is, no, it's not good enough. He wants to try and find out what is the actual reason. And the scholars, pretty much after a very difficult process, they make a guess, best guess, that the reason that it is haram is because, as the word itself says, khamar, from the, from the uh, khamara to cover, like the khimar which covers, it covers the mind. Your mind is not able to function anymore. Intoxication is a metaphor for the state of the inability of your mind to be able to function properly, because it's covered. Like your faculties are covered. Your faculties are closed, like yani, what something would, would close close and seal something up if you covered it, right? So you've, you've basically just lost your intellect. Therefore, they said, right, that's the illa. That's the sharia reason, all right? That's a big call. Because once you make that call and you identify the illa, then you can now go and say anything. Now, this cup of water, if it has a substance in it which, which causes intoxication, then this water is haram. This pill which is taken for this reason, if it causes intoxication, this pill is haram. This X is haram. That Y is haram. All based upon knowing the reason or the intention behind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His prohibition of a certain thing. Now, this issue of the illa is going to be super important in every chapter of fiqh. And it comes up everywhere, like here right now. The companions made adhan at the top of a house, highest building. 
Later on, kings, they put in the minara, minarets. And then you did it up there as well. The question is this. What is the illah of the angel in the dream standing on top of the house? What's the illah? Do we have the confidence to say the illah is because it spreads the voice maximum? Do you understand? Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? Right? What other reason could there be? The other reason it could be the reason is not the spreading of the voice. The reason is so that people, if they hear something, they look out and they see the guy and then they realize it. Maybe it's, some, maybe it's for the blind, maybe it's for the deaf. Right? Maybe it's for the deaf. So that they can't hear an adhan, but they will look outside at a certain time and try to look to, uh, to see if someone's there. Who's to say it's not, right? It might be a long shot, but who's to say it's not? What if I say to you that the illah is neither to uh, spread the sound, which of course you agree, yeah, that shouting from the top is louder than shouting from inside, yeah, and shouting from a low and shouting a high, I think, is louder generally, sound waves and whatever, yeah, is it? Is there some physics thing that says that if you're if you're in an open area and you, it's it it. it because of the height there you go and what if I said it's not that what if I said it's not because the deaf can see you but it's because you are meant to do it and that's it you are meant to do it and that's it there is no reason for it it's an act of worship a pure like why do we pray five times a day people will sit there day and night the people who get lost in this this is why this is a dangerous area okay because you get the philosophers and the people of kalam and nonsense, whatever, who didn't spend their entire lives basically just trying to work out something which has no value. You have a little goal, something obvious, go with it. Something not so obvious, okay. You don't sit there for the rest of your life thinking, right, what's going on, what's the secret, blah, 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 there's some magic mystery here between five, five. Khalas, man, it's five, that's it. Yep. You're not going to be able to logically work it out. Because you know what, frankly, it should have been seven. Actually, you know what, it could have been three. There's no way you can logically determine why five. You can say everything you want. The day is divided into five parts, five, five you know, movements of the sun, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's just not true at all. Frankly, it's just not true. You can make your, you know what? I could tell you to pray ten times a day and I will justify it by movements of the sun. I will justify it to you by movements of the sun. So what I'm trying to say is that there are some acts which you don't know what the reason are for, and you do it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it, and that's the end of it. It's ta'abudi, we call this. This is a, a phrase that describes this concept, is that this is a matter ta'abudi. Yeah, it is just pure act of worship. So what if the angel who stood on top of the building does it because the highness is a ta'abudi matter, it's meant to be done. Do you understand the, the dilemma now? Okay, and that's what the scholars are faced with. Um... Obviously, the scholars will differ over this, in my personal opinion. And the issue of the adhan, it comes up three or four times. We're going to cover each one individually. So let's do, deal with it now. What do you think? Do you think the highness here is a matter of a ta'abudi? Is it because of to help the deaf? Or is it to spread the sound? Let's have a vote. Let's say ta'abudi, meaning it's purely an act of worship. Let's say that it's for the deaf so they can see. And to spread the sound? Okay, so the majority of common sense seems to be that. And that, unsurprisingly, seems to be the 
the majority opinion of the scholars as well. And that is why they say that in our time, in your masjid with speakers, you use the speakers, they will spread the sound far, far uh, further and end the story. There are some ulama, and I like this approach, as you know, that I like this approach in all of my fiqh, and we've done this in all of, all of our classes, is I like to combine between different opinions so that you can adopt a safe one. So what I say is that if you are able to, if your masjid has a minara, easily accessible, and you are, with you know, law and everything allows it, and so on and so forth, and you do have the speaker system, then you'd, you'd use a speaker system, <laughs> microphone, ever, everything, and you would go into the minara as well, and that way everything, all the bases are covered. But does a person have to go up and do it in a higher place? I do not believe that's the case, if they have a speaker. If they don't have a speaker or a microphone, it is recommended to go to the higher place because then you are following the companions and the angels. Do you understand that, folks? Yeah? Okay, good. The next point is purity. Uh, what's it saying, uh, uh, um, if I run, Before we carry on. Yeah. So, can you give the Iran or the Iqama? The Iran, sorry. At the front of the machine, the back of the machine, it's got speakers. I don't want to cause any problems. Let's just say you went to the back and started using the Yeah. I, 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 well, first of all, First of all, it's a good question. You know, if you're on the speaker, why would you go to the front or the back, whatever? The answer is you wouldn't, okay? The aim is to spread the sound. And if, the, if you're on a microphone, then the, then the sound is spreading equally. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the sound is spreading equally, and uh, uh, the only reason people do it at the front is because it's normally wired, and that's where the amplifier is, okay? But I will tell you one uh, link to your question. In my opinion, in my opinion, and this was my practice as well, if you are in a masjid which is in a kind of desolate kind of area, right? I don't mean desolate, desolate, but yani, you know, whatever. Um, like this wouldn't count because there's too many residential houses too close. Yeah. Um, you should, and I would, and I did, and I do give the adhan at the door of the masjid. I mean, I've got a loud voice anyway, so the people who are inside, they will hear. But my function is for it to go outside the masjid. But not break the law by having speakers, etc., etc. And not cause problems to the people who don't want to hear it. Because they're not going to hear it. So I'm just saying the answer to, you, to your point. If In the absence of speakers, it's about spreading it as far as possible. If you have speakers, obviously it doesn't matter where you stand. If you have speakers but you can't stand somewhere because of physical restriction, then obviously it's not a problem. Okay. So it then says in a state of purity, yeah. In a state of purity. In a state of purity. So from a high place in a state of purity, mutatahiran. A min al hadith al akbar wal asghar, wa huwa sunnah. It is a sunnah act. This is very important. Okay, it is sunnah to be in a state of purity when you give the adhan. And purity, of course, we know there's two states of ritual impurity: al hadith al akbar wa hadith al asghar. So minor and major ritual impurity. That's what you should avoid. Some of the fuqaha. They said though, they said though, although they, they added, it is makru, however, if you are in a state of janaba, meaning sexual impurity, to give the adhan. Okay? So, what they're saying is that it's not obligatory for you to have wudu when you give the adhan. However, don't get so lackadaisical, don't get relaxed so much to say, hey, it doesn't matter even if I'm in a state of janaba, I can give the adhan. Okay? You can, you can technically, but it is makru. 
It is hated. It is a hated act. Okay? Um, some of the ulama, they said... Um, so I can, I can, I can, I can uh, 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 summarize the three levels, okay? Um, the best, level one, is to be pure from both hadith, yani, meaning that you're in, you don't need ghusl and you're in wudu as well. So you're, you're in full wudu. This is the best. The second level is that you only are hadith asghar. You only are in a state of minor ritual impurity, meaning you've just woken up from sleep, meaning you've just gone to the toilet, okay? This is fine, okay? And this is something which is mubah. It is permissible for you to give the adhan, okay? Then the third and the worst level is for you to be in a state of sexual impurity, yani or hadith akbar, okay? Then in this case, or for, or for menstruation or whatever, well, that wouldn't work with it really. Anyway, don't complicate matters, yeah? Maybe there's a sister who just wants to give that adhan, maybe, yeah? Okay? I can blag it, that's alright, don't worry. Right? Then this case is makruh. Okay, this case is disliked. Alright? Disliked. So you have Sunnah, Mustahab, Afdal, Mubah, and then you have Makruh. Alright? The next is? Uh, and facing the Qibla. And facing the Qibla. Mustaqbil al-Qibla. Istiqbal, meaning to, to, to face, okay, or to seek to face the Qibla. Al-Qibla. Qibla, of course, refers to, it's the first time we come to this, uh, uh, first time we come to this word, which is the, the direction of the Kaaba, okay, the direction of the Kaaba. And we will talk about this more later, but I want you to know that there is a difference amongst the scholars about what the Qibla actually means, meaning, is it actually towards the Hajr Aswad itself, or is it towards the Kaaba in general, or is it towards Mecca in a much more relaxed fashion? Another question is that, is there any kind of deviation allowed? Is it possible, for example, to say, well, as long as it's roughly in that direction within a 45 degree error, so within this much kind of error, like that in front of me, then it's something which is allowed. Some scholars even, okay, some scholars, including yeah, some who are close to us, they said that the hadith of the Prophet qibla, that for, for every east and the west there is a qibla, and his interpretation then from, or his uh, derivation from this hadith, Okay, is that because of this hadith that there is a qibla for the east and a qibla for the west, that actually a 180 degree margin of error is possible. Okay, now that's not as absurd as it sounds, but yani, because he's close, we don't yani, make too much of a big thing about it. Main thing is try and be as close to the direction of the qibla as possible. So, uh huh. Yeah, that's something else. That's yani, That's referring to uh, uh, this ayah. If you were to use Surah Al-Baqarah, you're you're basically trying to say that any direction is okay, and of course that's not the case. Yeah. Anyway, um, Sheikh Uthameen says it is Sunnah to be facing towards the Qibla because that is what has been narrated, and that is indeed what has been narrated by Imam Tabrani and by Imam Abu Dawood. And these are hadith are authentic, okay? And also by Imam al-Bayhaqi. And all of these go back to the original hadith that we've been talking about, and especially the ones we mentioned yesterday, uh, last week. The hadith of the angel, when he stood on the, on the house or on the, the building, uh, he, uh, uh, he faced towards Qibla. That's what the Rawi said, Abdullah bin Zayd said. That's what Abi Mahzura said. 
And that's what the companions would do, face the Qibla. Now what's interesting again is that we come back to the point again, that the Adhan is an act of worship, okay? Um, and uh, an act of worship, right? There is an interesting discussion about acts of worship. Are all acts of worship governed by a principle that all acts of worship are better if done facing towards, towards the Qibla? That's the theory. Is it correct to say that? Yeah? That every act of worship that's done facing the Qibla is better. So for example, if I was now to recite Quran, I'm super comfortable right here. Yes? Okay? And I'm, you know, leaning... And that's what normally people do in the masjid, isn't it? It's only so long you can sit like cross-legged with your Quran rail, yeah? And your, your Quran in there. And after a little while your legs go die, whatever. And then you got to go and find the wall. Yes? And so if I was to now read Quran here where I'm comfortable, I could probably get another extra half an hour, half hour, an hour out of it. Then I remember, as we're all told when we're young, you got to face the Qibla. So that's not going to work, is it? I'm going to have to turn around now, okay? And face the Qibla, which is obviously directly behind me. That's the question. Is it better for me? Likewise, du'a. You know, we grew up with du'a, you know, uh, and so many Muslims today, the majority are very culturally kind of minded. They have this very kind of very ritualistic approach to du'a, only then after the prayer, in a very, very specific way. You know, it's just like, you know, they don't really live the du'a. It's more kind of an artificial process. And so what's interesting for me and likewise the Qur'an, reading the Qur'an as well, which has become almost you know, a very artificial process as well, a very divine sanctified artificial process, but an artificial process all the same. You know, make a wall door, get, the, get it, bring it down, unwrap it, sit down, you know, put your topi on, and uh, all women put the hijab on, you know what I'm saying? And sit there in a very, very careful way, etc., etc. Now that's all wonderful and great, because you know, we learn these things as kids because, because parents want to try and instill in you adab, in the idea that if you grow up and you start to get lazy, at least, yeah, and you're coming from a, uh, what's the word? You're, you've, huh? What's, what am I trying to say? Huh? Yeah, what I want to say is that, um, I'm trying to give the, the, the right example. <laughs> Whenever I think of examples, the only thing I can think of is cricket. <laughs> South Africa today are trying to, were trying to chase England's score. They saw the rain coming. This is such an amazing example. Bob's going to love this example. What an example. Well, I deserve a medal for this example. I deserve to have, when, when I die and they're reading out my eulogy, make sure they say this is the, he made this example. <laughs> when you're chasing, when you're batting second and you're trying to reach the target, that's how cricket works. Yeah, You've got to beat the target that the other team has set. You've only got 20 overs or 50 overs to make it. If it rains, a process called the Duckworth-Lewis process comes in and it calculates basically some crazy calculation and it will tell you who wins the game according to a sum. And it judges how quickly they were going and how quick you were going and how many people you got out. It's a calculation. You understand? So a team, when they're batting second, they always have to have a good look at the weather. And if they suspect that it's going to rain at some time, they need to do that Duckworth calculation in their minds because although they may be chasing 400 runs to win, which is what the other team got in, act, in 50 overs, in actual fact, because of the rain, because of this, because of that, they might need to make 200 runs in 20 overs. So, 
Think about this. If you need to make 400 in 50 overs, but you're not sure, you might need to have 200 ready in 20 overs, and that's in your mind because you're looking at the weather. If you are trying to get your 400 in 50 overs, the first 10 overs, you would just try to get maybe 80, 90 runs. You take it easy. However, if you see this rain coming, you need to know that you need to be ahead of the Duckworth target. Yes? So you need to now, from the onset, go far more riskier, take go for the far more bigger shots to get 100, 150 on the board. So if the rain does come, you're basically ahead of the target and it's done. Did you understand the example? Oh, sorry. Did you understand that situation? Now let me apply it to this. This is a psychology of why our parents do these things to us, okay, in a very extreme way. They do these things, such as make us wear hats, sit in a certain way. They sanctify those acts which are not necessarily sanctified, okay, with their belief correctly that as modernity develops and as you get older and as you get lazier and as, as you whatever, you'll start to become more lackadaisical. You'll start to leave your your voluntary acts, you'll start to slowly kind of fizz away, fizz away, until the only thing which is left are those acts which are really, really drummed into you. Those which are really, really obligatory, or those which your parents really, really emphasize. So as the rest of everything strips away from your religion, your practice, your regularity, whatever, when it does come to the time that you actually pray, you really remember a few things. What I'm trying to say is that parents pack it in when they're young, in order to help you when everything is going to go to pot later on. That's how parents uh, do these, these things. That's why you will see a parent emphasizing this much, much more when they're younger than they do at the older. Because they know that here's the opportunity really, if they miss out, if they don't pack it in now, if they don't go all in now and make you sit like this and do it like that and force you to sit in tashahud with your foot like this and force you, get your foot in, get your foot loose, do it all now, they know you ain't got a chance of doing it at 18, or at 25, or whatever, and then the game's over. This is, by the way, a fact. You never realized it, because you never thought about it. Okay? And that's what I do, I think about these things. To make it second nature, to win the game, bro. I don't see how it was connected. That's because of your small fiqh. If you had the deep fiqh, if you had the deep fiqh, then you would have realized that just how the parents pack it in to their children when they're young is exactly how South Africa tried to pack in their runs in their early overs in order to beat the Duckworth Lewis. And you know what happened? They didn't predict it, and South Africa lost on the Duckworth Lewis. You see that? <laughs> See that? My little girl just said, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> oh, hippo. I mean, money. Why do you hate cricket, man? Anyway, it's a very good example. It's just a shame, Yanni, that people didn't, Yanni, clock on. I know Bob's is like, dang, that's a good example. And that's the only person I care about is Bob's, to be honest. In football. There's no example in football. There's no example in football. I mean, United would want to have this kind of idea. Let's get some early first half goals and then we, can, then we can chill for the rest of the game. That's another example, isn't it? And as, what's his name, whoever said it yesterday, if you don't get the first half goals early, 
then you're stressing out towards the end and it's all mega stress. The players are stressed, the fans are stressed, manager stressed, you make silly mistake, you lose the game. Whereas if you're knocking three, four early doors, then the rest is okay. You can concede one, two, it's all right. That's like for all you basics, you know, miskeen people. Maybe you understand that. I give you a sophisticated version. Well, I give such a good example. What a waste. I get so upset when my fiqh is wasted. The time, the thought, the investment, yeah, and that went into that. Anyway. Away, away goals. Away goals. What a oh. shot. What a shot. That's a good example. That's, That's a shot. You see that? Away goals. When you go away first game, you gotta get it. You gotta score, bro. And you didn't you, need the formula to do it. You didn't need the formula. It's a formula. Away goals is worth more than home goals. It's a formula, bro. No, it's complicated. No, well, it's one of the sophisticated yeah, example. Anyway, we're done on that, yeah? So the point is, back to the point. <laughs> What's the point? I got no the point. The point is, is that we are taught to, yeah, from a young age, whatever, to go in. Now, you see the problem with this kind of approach where you focus so much upon um, uh, uh, cultural Muslims or young Muslims to focus on these things is that they actually lose the meaning for the act itself. And so the modern Islamic parent, the modern parent, practicing parent, he almost or she almost does the exact opposite. Yeah? Which is that, you know what? I want my child to be super freestyle with the dhikr, with the Quran, with the dua. But I want them to be natural according to the sunnah. Making dua, you know, when they're eating. Making dua when they're sleeping. Reading the Quran when they're lying down. Because we want to encourage the recitation as opposed to the process. We want them to reflect upon its meaning as opposed to read one just for me in 10 minutes, etc, etc. Now, what I want to say is this movement went to an extreme and the modern movement went to the other extreme. I'm not talking about non-practicing modernists. I'm talking about practicing modern parents, practicing Muslims, proper conservative. But the theory went too far. And what did they lose? They lost a lot of sanctity for the actual religion. So the Mus'haf, you know, you'll often see it. The, parent, the, the grandfather comes around and he sees the kid, Yanni, with the Mus'haf like, you know, with like a normal book. Yeah? Now, what he's not realizing is that because of the normal book approach to the Mus'haf, it's being read proper. You know what I'm saying? It's being proper read, proper whatever. But he's like, where's this cover? Where are you, why are you not sitting down? How comes you're walking with the Qur'an? You know, you're walking with the Qur'an? Yeah? I mean... I look back and when I used, when I did my when I was memorizing Quran, I could only memorize whilst walking. I don't know why that is, but I could not memorize while sitting down. I would walk. I, I used to live in a masjid, you know, yeah. I used to live in a masjid at that time, and I used to. It would be empty, obviously, because you know I used to live upstairs, and I would come down Masjid Zakaria, okay, and just walk around making dua for that masjid like thousand times, walking, 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 walking. Yeah, and if someone comes in, my dad was to come, he'd have a heart attack. Like, what on earth is this? Yeah, be a daddy, isn't it? Yeah, the old traffic, yeah. Wally range. So, um, so what I'm saying is that we've got to be careful, you see, to have this balance where our children don't become so relaxed that they lose, you know, then it just becomes a mushaf in the pocket. Let's go to the toilet, no problem, no issues. Let's, Yanni, you know, be in any kind of state of purity, non purity, and do X. You know what I'm trying to say? There needs to be a balance. So I, I, I wanted to have that discussion with you for your own understanding and for the family understanding that we definitely want to move out of that cultural nonsense. 
But we don't want to make it so much so that the Quran becomes like any other book. And it can be just placed on a shelf and whatever. It still needs to be the highest. It still needs to be kept pure. You really need to make wudu for it. The wudu one is a big one, isn't it? A lot of children on this side, on this side, a lot of children are prevented from even reading the Quran because they don't make wudu. The parents say, you don't make wudu. And so the kid doesn't understand it, doesn't like it, doesn't want it. And then you tell him you don't, you're not allowed to read it because you ain't got wudu. Like you basically kill the whole uh, idea. Then on the other side, as a counter-reaction, as counter-reactions always are, it's like, don't worry about wudu, in any case, whatever. People not washing hands, people, you know what I'm trying to say? You lose the sanctity. So there needs to be a balance. So this question is actually a lot more important than you think. Is it correct to say that every act of worship is better when facing the Qibla? Because if you are to this side of the, of the, of the kind of the, you know, whatever, then you need to really rein in that kind of, like a, that, that liberal, relaxed attitude at home and bring it somewhere to a middle where there is some kind of focus towards the Qibla. So what does Sheikh Uthameen say? He says, it is better for acts of worship that a person does that they do it facing the Qibla as long as nothing has been narrated against that. So like for example, uh, we know that, I mean it's not an act of worship, but urinating, yes, is something which should not be done in the direction of the Qibla, in the open. We covered that, isn't it? In a closed building, some of them said it's allowed, etc., etc. So, but then see, there's a narration specifically. The Prophet said, "Do not face the qibla and don't make, don't put your back to it." So this is what he's saying. There's an act of worship where there is a narration which says do something different. Okay. Um, and Sheikh Uthameen makes a comment. He says one of the fuqaha he made the statement. He said. Um, the general, sorry, so the fuqaha in general, their advice, and that's the class position, and that's what I'm telling you, and this is what we believe, okay, is, okay, that we believe it's sunnah to be in a state of wudu and to face the qibla. That's the end of the story. It's a sunnah, it's good, it's not obligatory. However, one of the scholars, he made this point, he commented and made this statement. Look, this is what he says. He said, in Islam, every act of worship is to be done towards the Qibla. And it is, it is sunnah to do every act of worship towards the Qibla, unless there is an evidence to say otherwise. That's his qaida, that's his maxim. Every act of worship should be done in the direction of the Qibla, Unless there is an evidence to suggest otherwise. That's one of the humbly fuqaha. Sheikh Uthameen responds in a good way. He goes, He goes, to be honest, this could be debated. He go, and he goes, Nice response. He goes that his statement of it is recommended to it's a sunnah to do all acts of worship towards the qibla except with the dalil itself needs a dalil that statement itself it needs a evidence meaning what he's trying to say is that we need to define who's got the best argument for a status quo is the status quo of an act of worship towards the qibla 
Or is the status quo that it should just be done as it is? And it's a difficult point that. That's a really difficult question. Because when we believe that yes, it is sunnah to face the qibla, or it is better to face the qibla, we can come to that conclusion very easily, logically, and the scholars will support us. But if we ask further and say we insist upon it for every act of worship, except if there's an evidence which says no, that's a big claim. And I, I want to say that Sheikh Uthameen doesn't believe it. That's why he makes that point. He goes, this claim itself needs an evidence. And basically what he's trying to say is that the status quo, the status quo is that you do the act exactly or in any way that you want to. And that's the class position and it's the correct position. So we can modify this statement and make the following statement. It is sunnah to do any act of worship towards the qibla if there is an indication from the Sharia to do so. Simple and obvious. And for the Qur'an, we get some kind of indication, qiyas, yani, from the fact that the Prophet ﷺ has told us, that, uh, that Abdullah ibn Zayd told us that the angel, he faced the Qibla, we pray towards the, the we recite Qur'an when, we're, when we are praying towards the Qibla. And so Qur'an is of uh, yani, same type. It's a dhikr, it's a ibadah, and it's part of Salah as well. So it's okay to say Qur'an. So I just wanted to bring that point to your attention. Yes, Abdul Basit. So the Adhan is just a sunnah to, uh, to face the Qibla? Yes, just a, just a sunnah. No one ever said it's obligatory. No one ever said that it is obligatory. The next point, uh, Zafar. Oh, sorry, I've got it here actually. So. Placing his finger in each ear. Zero, zero. Um, the... Uh, right, so he recites it from a high position whilst in a state of purity and facing the qibla, placing his finger in each ear. Okay, placing his finger in each ear. Now, this action has been narrated in three hadith. Okay, this action has been narrated in three hadith. Number one. The hadith of uh, Abu Juhayfa. The hadith of Abu Juhayfa. He said that, and this hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmed and Hakim, and it is inshallah okay. It has an okay chain. Not the most authentic hadith in the world. He said, يؤذن, I saw Bilal making adhan, and he would rotate, and his mouth would go to, and I saw his mouth, yani, uh, yani his face, mouth, yani referring to the mouth face. I saw his face this side and that side, yani, and his fingers in his two ears, okay, and his fingers in his two ears. Then you have another hadith, which is a hadith of. Um, yeah, hadith of Sa'd al-Quradi as well. Yeah, there's a few, 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 few hadith. Some of them are weak. This is a weak hadith. I just want you to listen to this hadith, okay? And the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam amara bilalan an yaj'al usbu'aihi fi udhunayhi qala innahu arfa' ali sawtik. Okay? The hadith of Sa'd, which has been narrated by Ibn Majah, and this is weak, okay? According to some. And I think it is weak. He said that the Prophet ﷺ commanded Bilal to put his fingers in his ears and then he said to him, it is 
إِنَّهُ أَرْفَعْ لِصَوْتِكَ It will make you louder. It will raise your voice. It will raise your voice. But this hadith is, is um, this hadith is uh, obviously, this hadith is weak. But there are a number of evidences. Shaykh Uthameen makes the following points. Um, he basically says that there are two basic reasons for this. Number one, um, so that people could see that you are making the adhan. That's his point, okay? That people can actually see that you're making the adhan. And number two, that it actually increases the volume, okay? Now, about the seeing, Allah alam. Yani if you're dependent upon that and maybe, you know, uh, deaf or whatever and you see someone like that, obviously no one's going to walk around like that normally, right? So if he's, you see him, then you know he's making adhan. As for the voice thing, then we all know that. Yes, everyone knows? Yes, that when you put your fingers in your ears, it's like, you know, when you've got headphones on. Yes, and you, you, you just basically, you know, someone says, hey, and you go, yeah, what? And he's saying, stop shouting, and you're going, what? Because you can't hear yourself, right? So because you can't hear yourself, you compensate, and you keep increasing your sound just naturally. It just makes you shout because you can't hear your own voice. So that's what it means. So the meaning of the hadith, with the weak hadith, is correct. But the actual hadith is not right to say, this is the position of the Prophet ﷺ. Is that clear, yeah? So therefore, you do put your hands, you do put your fingers down. By the way, putting fingers in the ears does not mean you stick them in the ear hole. Right? That's not what it means. It means to close the actual ears. So that's fine. This action, okay, is neither here nor there. Okay, to do this. Because to be honest, you can hear your voice and so it doesn't even make it louder. And I don't think anyone who saw you in the street may think you're making adhan. They'd probably say your ear's hurting or something, right? Okay, but this is like the cool way to give adhan, right? That's how I've always done it. I've got no idea why. I don't do it when I'm doing it. Doing it, I mean, when I'm just by myself doing it. <laughs> Except from the singing days. Just sing and sing, like that. Where did I learn that from? I don't know where I learned that from. Malaysia. Huh? Malaysia. Who? Malaysians. Malaysians. Is it? Right. I'd like to ask the Malaysians to give, give us a comment on that. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, what was the other point I was going to make about the fingers? Oh, yeah, which finger? Yes. Which finger? Index. Index, yeah? Yeah. That's the... Uh, the general uh, position of the scholars, okay, but actually, there is no evidence to specify to restrict it just to that. So it is possible, you know, to do it like this if that was any possible. I don't know, or like this. I personally think that, you know, these two are fine. The pack way, of course, is fine as well, which is to grab your ears basically as if they're about to fall off, like that. <laughs> That's an awesome way. It's like yeah, you're going to close it and I'm going to double seal it from the bottom as well. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there, bro. But it has the same, same effect, yeah? It, 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 it you know, closes the sound. All right. Um, you know, the second point now is, is irre- the other point about people seeing you. I mean, you're inside the whatever, so it doesn't need to happen. You don't need to raise your voice either now, so so that second function that it might it helps you to raise your voice. Yeah. You don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, agreed. That's also a good point. You don't need to raise your voice if you're using a 
a uh, speaker, right? That's the problem, right? That's the problem. Once you get into this whole area of what's the reason behind it, you know, then you're, you're in big, you're, you're in trouble. Well, either you're in trouble or you're absolutely spot on. It basically, I mean, the good thing is that the scholars have left enough space. No one said it's obligatory. No one said it's obligatory. And in actual fact, let me also tell you something. There are some, there are a number of scholars that said that it's not even sunnah. Because all three or four of the ahadith which mention it, all of them have some issues. All of the ahadith have some issues. Does that make sense? Yeah? Some are yani, just about okay, others they're, yani, you know, Senate has got some issues. None of them are like, you know, there's not a hadith in Bukhari, it's not like yani, a hadith in the Musnad with full narrator's bang. No, every hadith has got, yani, the ulama of hadith spoke about the chains of each one. So there's doubt over, you know, some aspects. So it's not a primary aspect of the uh, holding, of the, of the adhan, sorry. غير um, mustadir. <coughs> What did I do with the thingy? All right, then. The um, uh, placing his finger in each ear, not swiveling around, turning only to his right and left during the hayalatain. So not swiveling around. That means basically the full rotation. Okay, the full rotation. So a person basically goes round, 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 round. Some of the Shafi'is they said that if that's allowed to do in a in a minaret. In a minaret, if you're out there, then that's allowed to do. But there's no evidence for that. In actual fact, you'll see that um, the uh, uh, hadith are clear as, and I will mention to you just some of them here, okay? The, the reason that you do not turn around, okay? The, way, the reason that you don't turn around is because the Prophet ﷺ has authentically narrated, uh, it's narrated from him that when Bilal gave the adhan, he turned to the right and turned to the left. He did not turn around. He did not turn around. Okay? And also, as Imam al said, not only do you not turn around, but you do not even put your back to the qibla either. So not only are you not allowed to be rotating when you're giving the adhan, but you're not. But also, you're not meant to put your back to the qibla as well. Ibn Sirin said it is hated to be moving. Okay. Imam Malik said لا يدور ولا يلتفت إلا. Malik said something even bigger. He said not only do you not turn around, but you don't even turn to the right or left either. Even though Bilal did that. Even though the hadith of Abdullah ibn Maktoum shows that. Uh, the Abdullah ibn Zaid shows that. And, that, and he said the only time that you turn to the right and left is that if you need to inform other people, meaning there's other people to inform. Now, that position, of course, is a very popular one in the current time. In the current time, when we're faced with a speaker, uh, sorry, a microphone, what do you do? If you have a microphone and you turn to the right, okay, then it's like, you know, it's like even here. The reason, by the way, this microphone is right in front of me now, if you remember, it used to be here, right? Is because I was checking one of the videos and I could see that every time that I'm turning, you know, speaking here or there, the voice completely goes. Yeah, but it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah. And so I put it back in the middle so that you can try and catch as much as possible. So it's obvious. Obviously, there's no problem with, a, 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 you know, one of these, you know, because they're moving with you. But if you're giving the adhan into a fixed microphone, 
you know, physical fixed microphone, and you turn away, then the voice then goes, the, 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 you know, the sound goes down, the volume goes down. Now, the question is, is the moving part of an act of worship, or is the moving for a function? And of course, the majority of the scholars said that the moving is for a function. They said that the actual turning to the right and to the left is to spread the noise as much as possible. Okay? Now, let's be honest, there could be questions of that. How important is it for the people just to hear that part? And why do they only hear Hayyar al-Salah there and not Hayyar al-Salah that side? And why not then turn around during the entire Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, which is, you know, arguably even more important for people to hear because that's what's going to, you know, get people's attention. So, I don't know. What I will tell you is, Sheikh Uthaymeen, Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen, alayhi rahmatullah, he says, okay, that in his opinion, that he says, uh, Why did he say that? Aywa. Actually, I've jumped the gun. Let me let me get to it properly. This is, the, I think, the final thing we'll do. Um, so, so no turning around. Now, the issue of the right and left. Okay, he says that you turn to the right. What does the actual text say? What does it say? Turning only to his right and left. During the Hay Alatain, yeah, during the Hay Alatain, Multafitan Fil Hay Ala, Yaminan Washimala. Okay, now let me ask you a question. I want just people to answer this exactly as quick as you can. What do you think the possible meaning of that could be? I want you to demonstrate it to me. Okay, go on. When are you starting? Okay, I'll, I'll just copy what you did. This is what you did. That's what you did, yeah? Do you accept that that's a possible interpretation of what that says? Good. Okay, another one? Yes? Uh, when do you start? When do you stop? What do you do? Show me exactly, then I'll copy it for the people. Alright, watch this, okay. Sorry, do it again, sorry. Right, okay, right, yeah. Okay, so, see, I've gone to one hand again. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's those Egyptian reciters. That's what I'm thinking. Where is it? I've heard it. It's Egyptian reciter. <laughs> Abdul Basit, yeah, and you're knocking it out. I don't know, it's just some kind of move, you know what I'm saying? I've got the moving. Anyway. So, Hayya uh, al-Salah Okay? Do you understand that? Is that an acceptable interpretation? A third one, just to help you. Hayya al-Salah Hayya al-Salah Yep. So the Hayya starts from Okay, straight and ends over there. Another one is Okay, which is the salah comes back and ends at this point. Okay, the other one is Okay, 
individual jumla jumla set by set or hayya ala salah hayya ala salah hayya ala falah hayya ala falah accept it yeah because it doesn't say you've got to come back right it says yani say it to the right and to the left so here's the issue the reason I wanted to show you all of that is because Sheikh Uthameen in a statement which frankly surprised me okay he said that that many people make the mistake that they do all of these options like I showed you because this is a mistake he goes what is well known is what is the which is what is well known is what is op, is what is obvious from the sunnah that a person should turn to the right and say it only there sentence by sentence only starting over there so sheikh uthaymin doesn't allow any of these interpretations the only way according to him that it's allowed to give this adhan is exactly like this hayya ala salah hayya ala salah hayya ala falah hayya ala falah that is Sheikh Uthameen's position. Is that clear? He says the evidence for that is basically the wording. That he said it twice to the right and to the left. Now, I find this incredibly restrictive and strange from Sheikh Uthameen. You look now at Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti on the other hand. I found this fascinating. Think about this. Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti he says, on the other hand, that the fuqaha, they allowed and had many different opinions on the issue. And all of them have a point of view, and any of them are acceptable. For example, starting from here. Sheikh Uthameen, you can see why he said you can't start from here, because he said that right and left. So he goes, if it says right and left, then it indicates that there was no central start point. We can argue, that doesn't mean the case, it means you turn to the right. And it doesn't mean that you can't start and then turn to the right. So I think Sheikh Muhammad Muqtada Shanqiti's position is a far more correct and far more, and it's a class position. Meaning that there's flexibility according to the interpretation that a person can start, start here and move to the right. That's, the, uh, you know, in a relaxed way and not have to pause and wait and just say it. Now, after I've told you that, here's the interesting point. Sheikh Uthameen himself is the one who says, okay, who says, the wisdom behind turning to the right, this is at the bottom of page 60, to the right and to the left is to um, iblagh, transmit the people you're calling who are on the right and on the left. This is his, his point. And so therefore based upon that, he should not turn if he's speaking into a microphone. So if he's speaking in a microphone, he speaks straight in and there is no turning because if he does that, he will lose the sound. Now, what I found fascinating is that position A and position B don't match up. 
you've got zero flexibility in position A and then maximum flexibility if there is somehow a speaker there, right? Common sense says that it, was, it would have been Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti who would have said, position A is that, hey, do it however you want. It's about getting the voice out there. It's about, you know, but as long as you turn right and left as the hadith says, then that's the main thing. You would expect him then to carry on and say, but when it comes to the microphone, yeah, then it's okay. You don't turn. However, it's the exact opposite. Sheikh Muhammad Bukhtar Shankiti says, to put the cat amongst the pigeons. He says that when a person, when a person has a microphone, then it is not permissible for him to not turn to the right or left. He has to still turn to the right and the left. He still has to turn. It is legislated to turn to the right and left, even if you have a microphone and a speaker, because this is a pure act of worship. See, we're back to that issue again. He goes, Who said that it's about you know, uh, uh, informing the people? Who told you that it's about being so loud? They're, he's arguing. And I like his argument, to be honest. I've got to say I like his argument. Because like I said to you, bro, if you want to try and call the people, why you only do it at Hayya al-Salah, Hayya al-Salah, Hayya al-Falah, Hayya al-Falah? You know what I'm saying? Question, so on the language, in the English we have there, it's kind of quite lax, isn't it? Because it doesn't say, turn to the right for Hayya al-Salah, and turn to the left for Hayya al-Falah. It's turn to the right and left during the Hayya day. Yes. So that is a very wide area of interpretation how you can do it. So that's why I said I prefer Sheikh uh, Shankiti's position on the exact nature of how you do it. Okay, in terms of the actual uh, without a microphone and speaker. I just want to make it clear that the mass majority of fuqaha are upon the opinion that you know a person does the two to the right and to the left and, and then two to the left, although. I will tell you something nice. Okay? I will tell you something nice or interesting. And that is... No, I won't. I won't actually. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it's basically what I, basically what, basically what I was telling you before. But this is the point. Okay? Sheikh, uh, he, he, he says that because act of... Uh, thing, uh, he goes, an act of worship does not change whether there's a presence of a microphone or a speaker or there isn't. The act of worship continues. End of story. Now, it's a big call that. It's a big call because if you're on a microphone, that's going to sound so strange. Now, obviously today, and you know, just stick a, you stick a wireless on and end the story. Right? And then the whole thing is solved. But I'm more focused on you know, the, 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 his thinking. His thinking is, and that's why I wanted to really impress upon your students, that when you come across an issue of fiqh and you see the ignorant just talking about it like as if they've mastered it and they're like, you know, they studied deen for one year, you lot are students of knowledge and you understand you know, the deeper issues going on. That a scholar has come to a ruling, but that ruling was based upon uh, some maxims and some principles. And maybe there are other scholars that will differ in that position because they see the issue completely differently. You see how a vast a difference of opinion. One will say it's not allowed to move, other one will say it's allowed to move, and you will think, right, that's so wrong. But actually, the reason that you think he's wrong is because he's holding on to a principle, which actually you agree with as well in principle, which is that an act of worship must always remain an act of worship. You can't second guess what the reason is. So I, I thought I'd end with that because I think it's very valuable. 
yes, in my in my opinion, um, you can blag it now with a wireless mic, but do, I want to say to you that this movement is a sunnah, no more. So I just want to say that even if there was a fixed microphone and a person said, hey, salah, whatever, he doesn't sin by doing that act. The question is, has he achieved the perfection? Has he achieved the sunnah of the adhan? That's the real question we're asking. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah, did that, that cover that section, yeah? Okay, that's cool. Let's do some questions, inshallah, in class and then online, yeah. Captain Asad, yeah. Yes. Just to transmit this Hayrala thing, uh, would it not be the reason for the meaning? Why do only the people on the right get salah and why do the people on the left only get success? What if I want to hear a bit of salah on the left? <laughs> it's unfair to me, isn't it, really? The second point is uh, with regards to Sheikh uh, Sheikh Qaiti, uh, Hafidhahullah. Don't kill him yet, Yara. My man killed him off one time. <laughs> May Allah have mercy upon him. Subhanallah, he's still in the masjid, bro. Get out of town. <laughs> Probably like it, Yara. Uh-huh. So, if somebody were to turn right and say, Hayalat uh, Salah, yeah. then, because I've heard lots of opinions, like, you know, you start from the middle, yeah. because the microphone is here and, yeah. here, and here as well, you know, and there. That's, that's, one, that's one of the positions, Yani, that some scholars held, that you bring it all the way back. Yes. I have to say, from the hadith, okay, um, it, it really is open. As I said to you, فَتْوَضَّأَ وَأَذَّنَ بِلَالِ He made wudu and he... Uh, gave the adhan and his his mouth his face would go this way and that way right and left and he would say hey ala salah hey ala al-falah and that's why i'm just going to just for your own benefit i'm going to translate literally what imam and nawawi said commenting on this hadith okay bit of classic old school scholarship scholarship listen to what he says he goes al madhab so obviously shafi madhab he goes uh Ahmad Hab's position is that it is recommended to turn during the Hay'ala, yani Hayya'ala, okay, the Hay'ala, to the right and to the left, and to not turn around, and to not put our backs towards the Qibla. This is regardless of whether we are on the ground or on a minaret. This was also the position of Ibrahim al Nakhai and uh, uh, Sufyan al Thawri and Sufyan al Awza'i. Abu Thawr. These are imams of the Salaf. Okay? And it's also a narration from Imam Ahmed. Imam Ibn Sirin, he said that it is hated to turn any direction. Makruh. Imam Malik said that neither should you turn around and neither should you turn to any direction unless it is to inform the people. Meaning that if you're by yourself, you wouldn't do it. And Abu Hanifa and Ishaq Ibn Rahwi and Imam Ahmed in another narr- narration, they said that you will turn to the right and left, um, but you will never turn around completely. You will not rotate, unless you are on a minara. So that's the actual Hanafi position and a narration from Imam Ahmed. Those people who said that you rotate, you turn around, all directions, the evidence that they used was the hadith of Al-Hajjaj ibn Arta on the authority of Awf ibn Abi Juhayfa, and Abi Juhayfa, 
قال رأيت صلى الله عليه وسلم بالأبطح فخرج بلال فأذن فاستدار في أذانه We, they relied upon the hadith a narration of Abu Juhayfa in which he said that I saw the Prophet ﷺ at Abdah, this place, and Bilal came out and he gave the adhan and he rotated in a circle. Okay? This hadith has been narrated by Ibn Majah and Al-Bayhaqi. As for us and our companions, Imam uh, Nawi is saying, وَحْتَجَّ أَصْحَابُنَا بِالْحَدِيثِ الصَّحِيحِ السَّابِقِ We based our position upon the authentic hadith that we mentioned before, in that he did not turn around. Okay? As for the hadith of Al-Hajjaj, of Al-Hajjaj, then we will respond to it with the following three statements. The first of them, that Al-Hajjaj himself, he is da'if and a modalis. He is a weak narrator. So therefore, we cannot use him as a, uh, we cannot use him as an evidence. And in this hadith, he used the wording an, وَعَنْ لَا يُحْتَجَّ بِهِ لَوْ كَانَ عَدْلًا ضَابِتًا He goes, even if he's very authentic, even a great imam, but if he's modellis, which is a, we didn't at least, I think, before, okay? He hides things when he learns hadith. If he uses the word an on the authority of so-and-so and doesn't really give some confidence to the way that he heard the hadith, then we consider that person to be weak and this narration to be weak. The second response, أَنَّهُ مُخَالِفْ لِرَوَيْتِ الثِّقَاتِ That this hadith is actually going against the hadith which is more authentic. Therefore, it becomes odd, and our hadith is the one which is established. And that's very clear. The third reason, the third reason, is that even we will assume, play devil's advocate, and we will assume that this hadith is authentic. Well, this rotation is just a phrase, which is actually referring to turning right and left. So actually, what they are referring, if this hadith is authentic, it's actually just emphasizing right and left, and not necessarily saying that he turned round and round because all of the other narrations specifically say right and left. Make, think about that for a second. If you had uh, 10 narrations and all of them said he turned right and left and then you got an 11th one that said he turned round, it's quite common sense that you would assume that turn round meant also turn right and left and doesn't mean necessarily turning round. Then that would fit. This is what's called reconciling between two contradictory hadith. It's called al-jam. Okay? Sheikh, one of Sheikh Albani, alayhi rahmatullah, he says something which I, I 100% agree with. That's the end of Imam Nawawi's quote. Okay. Um, Sheikh Albani says, "I want to say to you that unfortunately his arguments number one, and number two are not good enough. Okay, and that's because the hadith itself is is not as weak as he makes it out to be. And but the last one is the most important one." The last argument is the correct argument, and that is that the words can be combined, and therefore right and left should be applied. Right and left is the position. <coughs> I just thought I'd say that. Okay? Just some, yeah, I need to think it, yeah. Uh, if somebody gives me adhan, and uh, he's not present with the qibla, yes. do you think you should? No, <laughs> not at all. Exactly what happens, you know, yeah, of course, of course, uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't. If a person is making adhan, he's not facing towards the qibla, then we shouldn't change. However, however, if a person is giving adhan in a direction not moving, giving the adhan, that's not the qibla, then you should. Yeah, and if a person is facing that way, and or that way, for example, and he's giving the adhan, he's not moving, 
he's not moving, then you would go up to him and you would just gently turn him. No, because I, in the first case you said that a given person is giving adhan. Assuming that he is moving. But if, you, if you're assuming that he's not moving, if your question was, there's a guy, you know, uncle, he's just planted himself, grabbed his ears with double seal, alright, and he's, you know, speaking to the right. <laughs> I don't know how else to call it. But anyway, he's pointing that direction, he's not moving and he's giving adhan towards that wall. It's clear this guy, he thinks that's the Qibla. And so by you turning him, you're just helping him. The skin just needs a little helping hand. Better love, that's it. I'm always, I'm all for all sharing a little bit of love. Little things. Every penny counts. <laughs> then that's why I said, he's a moving guy. And if he's a moving guy, then you don't touch the guy. Because like I said, there are some people, as you've just seen, that believe that you do turn around. Yeah. Yeah, and what I'm trying to say is that in the majority of mosques, if you were to go in and you found an uncle or you found someone standing, not moving, giving the adhan in the wrong direction, it's a nice thing for you to gently move him towards the qibla. Right. Only because, not because it's obligatory, but because the way that the guy is standing is indicating that that's where he thinks the qibla is. Huh? If the guy was moving... What I meant by moving is that you will come across some of... Uh, you will come across Muslims. I'm trying to remember now. Um, you see, you see I, 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 I want to make a point here. You have, to, you have to understand that what we spoke about is pure theory. I just told you that Abu Hanifa, rahmatullah, that his position okay, is that you would rotate if you are in a minara. Okay? If a Hanafi saw you do that, they'd have a heart attack. Yes, because modern day Hanafi school has literally 10% of what classically Abu Hanifa used to do or the classical scholars. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So, so, so what I mean is that um, there's a big disconnect between what people see today and what people happen, actually happens. You will go to some areas where you will see Muslims, they will be rotating because they follow some, some of the scholars. I told you what the evidence is, but they have a hadith. They have more than one hadith actually. And it's a possible understanding that you do rotate. It's not a haram opinion. And so you will come across a person who sometimes is giving adhan and he's all over the show. Without a microphone. Without a microphone, or even with a wireless, he's moving around because he believes that the sunnah is to send the voice in every direction. So everyone hears it, everyone bears witness. It makes sense. It actually makes sense. If you're on a mountaintop, yeah, right at the top. Yeah, on a on a. Is that him? Okay, I was thinking thunderbirds. That's why. If it, if I if it was, oh, <laughs> if he was on, is it thunderbirds or James Bond? Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. Okay, yeah. I'm sure it's James Bond as well. But anyway, um, if you're on a mountain, I mean, it would take some major willpower not to turn around. Like you're on top of the world, right? And you're giving the other hand, and you're just facing that way. You'd want to have a little cheeky little... You know what I'm saying? Yeah? You'd probably do it again. You'd probably do it four times, wouldn't you? That's the next level bit of that's probably what would happen. Yeah? But, um, so that's why I wanted to make a differentiation. If you see a person moving around, you're not going to, tell, you're not going to move them until they don't consider that Qibla is a key. They, they consider spreading it around. But if you come across some guy in Miskini, you know, like the one who's praying. Yeah? The prayer, you know, he's pointing in the wrong direction because Miskini doesn't know. So you go up to them and gently... 
And remember, in Adhan, as I said, it's a sunnah. It's not obligatory like in Salah. Salah is obligatory. And even in Salah, by the way, if the person shows up with resistance, you, 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 know, you back off. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, mans can get emotional in their Salah, you know? Also, on the scenario, like you know, a person who is still who's doing the uh, Adhan in the wrong direction, say this direction here, yeah, Salah, no, no, Adhan, yeah, and uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't think that it's a Qibla, but he just thinks, like, okay, I can face anywhere to do the Adhan, but he does not think, okay, if he doesn't want to be facing Qibla, then you know, but you don't know that, bro, no, nobody you're assuming, like, yeah, of course, you're assuming, that's why it's no biggie, it's no, no massive, it's only online. There's one here. Um, can the Muaddin himself respond to his own call as the one who listens to the Adhan? We're going to cover that in the next one or two weeks. Okay. Yep. She had some, a question about Tarji. Yep. How much does it come to then? Yeah. Yep. Summary of the other questions. Getting on top of the building, turning to your left or right, what is the class position? The class position is that if a person is on a high place, they should turn to their right. They can start the Hayya Salah from the original position and they should say some of it to the right hand side. If they start and finish on the right hand side, that's not a problem. On top, outside, with even inside, with a wireless, no problem at all. Yani, it is sunnah to turn to the right tw- twice, each time separately. That's what the, indi- the, the hadith indicate. Hayya Salah, Hayya Salah, Hayya Falah, Hayya Falah. This basic principle, with a microphone, without microphone, on top of a building, that's sunnah. That's a class position. Going on top of the building, not talking about left or right, is yeah. that sunnah? Um, it, it, like, I need climbing on top of this? It's all contextual based, isn't it? Yeah. If but you are in a village a where it's legal and it's a Muslim country and there's a, you know, it's easy to get on and you know, they're not going to say you're Wahhabi or whatever, yeah? <laughs> And you're not going to get shot and not get labelled. Then absolutely, to get high, to get to go high, to go high, to go high, yeah, to go high, right? Is a is a is a sunnah, inshallah, inshallah. But they should recognise that there is a, you know, the point of the class was for them to understand why some will say it's not a sunnah because there there, there was a function behind it. That's the more important lesson in the class. Is an act of worship done in a state of purity more rewardable than one done without? In general, yes. In general, yes. Any act of worship which is done in wudu is better than an act, the same act done without wudu. There's no doubt about that. There's too many general evidences to establish that. Any other? That's it? An online done? Mm-hmm. You must be kidding. I know I like it. I know I like it. Moving to the left or right, it should only be from the hip, and there should be no feet movement. Subhanallah, I can't believe I forgot that. I completely, completely forgot about that. Okay, um, when we're talking about moving to the right and the left, absolutely, let me make it very clear that the movement to the right and the left, according to the majority of scholars, the who say right and left, is only of the head, not the body. It's not a complete turn. It is as I showed you, all right. But I'm not concentrating, right? So it's just the the head. It's just the head, okay? All right. Not the turning of the body. Not the turning of the body. Okay, everybody. Excellent. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadwalla ilaha illa ant.
وأستغفرك اللهم وأتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته